Today on Ag News Daily. The stuff that I'm going to discuss, I think, is actually a lot more important than, than any of the short-term uh, headlines. And I'm going to discuss uh, the implications of, you know, spending money versus saving it. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Happy Tech Tuesday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. Delaney Howell joined by my co-host Mike Pearson. And Mike, we are both out traveling today, talking to folks in the industry. I am at the IPSA event, the Independent Professional Seed Association's annual conference. And Mike, you are speaking where? Well, Delaney, I was in Beloit, Kansas earlier this afternoon talking to Central Valley Ag, a co-op here, well, a co-op here in Kansas, Nebraska, and in Iowa. I'm sure a lot of our listeners are familiar with it. But right now, I am touring the plains of Kansas. I am cruising with a K-State Aggie by the name of Logan Cox. He is my chauffeur today, getting me safely to and from uh, Manhattan to Beloit. And I tell you what, it is fun to get down here in Kansas and just talk about, you know, the ways agriculture is different across the Corn Belt. Yeah, absolutely. We were um, talking today kind of just about, like, I was talking to Clinton Griffith, Griffith, who hosts uh, a couple ag TV shows as well, and he was also a presenter down here, and we both had little elements of kind of the, you know, Dust Bowl post-1930s, and he was sharing an example with his audience today that uh, those same acres there in Kansas, you know, that farmers back in the day would have laughed at you if you said you were going to grow one bushel per acre are now yielding like 220 bushels per acre. So it's just phenomenal to see where we've come in agriculture. It is. And, you know, it's really cool. So Logan and I have been chatting. And, you know, since today is Tech Tuesday here on the podcast, um, I've been learning about hay technology, specifically stingers the bale-moving equipment that uh, Logan's family runs, and it's incredible the way agriculture adapts to different environments so folks can make a living. That it certainly is, and like you said there, Mike, it is Tech Tuesday. We're going to talk about a great technology. Another great piece of technology is podcasting, of course, as we think, and we've got another great podcast hitting the pipelines here shortly for the ag industry. But, Mike, let's chat about some news for today. Even though it's a little bit of a slower news day, there are definitely still some headlines impacting agriculture. Yeah. And, you know, the first news story that I really want to bring our listeners' attention to, of course, we have talked about this for the past 18 months. It's the trade war. Um, Tomorrow, we are expected to see Vice Premier Lou He in Washington, D.C. That's a lot of rhyming words that I didn't mean to string together. Um, They are going to be getting together with Trump's people and resigning phase one of this trade deal. The reason this matters is this is an opportunity for economists, for trade folks to come out and say, okay, let's look at what the tariffs have done. And uh, really, we've got uh, new research from the Federal Reserve that was just published. And basically, the big concern is that the tariffs have driven down industrial output here in the U.S. You know, the idea was we put these tariffs on, we quit importing manufactured things from China. The theory was we'll start manufacturing more things here. The challenge, when we put as many broad-based tariffs on as we have, all of a sudden manufacturers here who need to buy goods from China to manufacture can't get that stuff. And so the Fed is uh, saying that basically these tariffs have proved, quote, especially damaging to American manufacturing competitiveness and jobs. Also, they look at agriculture. You know, everybody in our industry knows that story. We've definitely seen imports, imports into China cut this last year. So really, 
these economists in this headline today are hoping that phase one is perhaps the first step in starting to normalize relations with China and uh, maybe get things back so, so we can start growing again, particularly on the manu- manufacturing side, and get some sales up here for agriculture. And one of those sectors that uh, continues to benefit from having U.S. trade negotiations with China as well as other countries continues to be our protein sector. We saw some agricultural economic insights released here over the past really looking at the past three decades, talking about ag imports and ag exports, specifically within the protein industry. And they showed, AEI showed or wrote again, that in 2019, net exports were about 19% of our total production. 19% of our total protein production was being sent overseas. They said for 2020, they're expecting to see those net exports reach 22% of our production, the highest in 60 years largely supported by the idea that we are indeed going to see phase one trade deal take place. Japan continued uh, trade deal there and the USMCA. And I've got a little bit of an update on that. The Senate is now again, <laughs> we talk about, we talked about Twitter culture and headline culture in uh, one of my breakout sessions. It seems like that is definitely what's going on in Congress this week as related to the USMCA agreement. But the Senate has now said that they are going to likely clear the implementing bill for the USMCA trade agreement this week ahead of the impeachment trial for President Trump. The House was expected to send over those two articles to the Senate on Wednesday. But uh, now McConnell says they're not going to let it supersede some of the other action items, such as USMCA, that they've got on their docket. Interesting. I I believe, Delaney, if they don't take them up on Wednesday, that is a violation of the law. That's kind of what I was thinking, too. Or at uh, least maybe it's just Senate procedure. Maybe that's the story. I'm not sure. I kind of thought it was illegal or against Senate procedure, but it sounds like... They are not going to take it up until Tuesday of next week, assuming that we do see those articles of impeachment get sent over to Congress or to the Senate as of tomorrow. Now, the wild card there is I believe we still need to have the USMCA legislation passed out of the six different committees in which it has been assigned. Yes, that is correct. So hopefully that'll happen tomorrow as well. Hopefully. All right. Well, fingers crossed. We built some certainty back into this market. Absolutely. Well, I've got some news. You know, we talk about uh, meat exports. Of course, U.S. meat exports have been a shining light, Delaney, and it looks like it will be in the future. That 22% is a pretty good number, best in 60 years. That's, I hadn't heard that statistic. I, I really yeah. like that. One of our chief, chief competitors, of course, has been Brazil. And uh, I use that as a segue to tie into some Brazil news. Uh, Petrobras, which is Brazil's state-owned oil company, has uh, been making nitrogen in a fertilizer plant in Brazil and uh, in the state of Parana, which is a fairly large-scale agricultural area in Brazil. It's not Mato Grosso, it's not uh, Rio Grande do Sul, but it is it is a large ag area. And um, basically, Petrobras says this fertilizer factory has been losing money for three years, and they're going to shut it down. So I, I'm. This was just reported earlier today. I don't have all the specifics. I'm not entirely certain of the capacity of this plant, but I've got to imagine this is going to drive fertilizer prices up locally, at least in that state in Brazil, which is desperately uh, in need of fertilizer to get its crops out of the field. That Brazilian soil 
is not American soil. It's not Ukrainian soil. They have to fertilize it every single year. And I've got to imagine this would lead to a price spike for those growers near that facility. I would imagine you are probably right on the money there, Mike. Well, what other news do you have for us, Delaney? Well, you know, speaking of price spike, Mike, that all kind of rhymed, too. I guess we're on a rhyming yeah, rhyming we're, day today. but poet today. Yeah, that we are. Um, so back in April, we saw RCAF file a lawsuit against a couple major folks in the beef packer, beef integrating industry, including Tyson Foods, JBS Cargill, and National Beef Packing Company, allegedly assuming or saying that those companies worked together to drive down beef prices. So we saw lawyers for those big beef packing companies file paperwork on Friday seeking to dismiss that class action lawsuit filed by that group of ranchers last year, the beef packers, claimed that the quote-unquote direct evidence of their alleged scheme to drive down those prices consists of unreliable hearsay from two identified witnesses, neither of whom have any personal knowledge of the collusion. So we will see really how that comes about. Their dismissal, request for dismissal on Friday claimed that even after filing a 100-page brief opposing the dismissal, the rancher's legal team had not really shown enough legal evidence to allow the case to proceed, to proceed into any sort of a massive antitrust discovery process. So that's something we'll continue to watch there as well. So it sounds like, Lenny, all that legal jargon was kind of thrown yes. before a loop. Okay. Is the case moving forward or is it on hold? We really don't know yet. It, it, it seems to be on hold as of current because of these food, these companies, Tyson, JBS, Cargill, etc., uh, basically filing a, a dismissal for this class action lawsuit. So I assume now, and I'm not a lawyer and I don't claim to be, but I think a judge will basically have to... Uh, either grant that dismissal or throw it out and continue on with the class action lawsuit. Gotcha. Okay, so this was basically just a response by the beat back. Yeah. Now it's a... Okay. Well, that makes sense. I've got some news. Here's my final news story for this day, and it is uh, somewhat bullish. It's kind of exciting to see China's soybean imports in December were up 90... Excuse me, that was way high. They were up 67% from a year ago, looking at December, December. Um, basically, December's imports into China were a 19-month high. Um, unfortunately, this was not just on American imports. There were also several dozen Brazilian cargoes that were booked through customs in December. But uh, at the end of the day, they brought in 9.54 million tons of soybean in December, up from 5.5 7.2 million a year earlier. So it's good news the Chinese apparently are going ahead and taking soybeans. There's been a lot of discussion, myself included, just earlier today, wondering if China was going to need all of the beans that uh, you know they purchased in the past with the decimation of their hog herd. And at least it looks like they're stepping up and writing some checks right now, which is good news. Yeah, and to add on to that, I also read a story that uh, their vice minister of Chinese customs shared with reporters that not only were they importing more soybeans, but pork imports also rebounded pretty significantly in the month of December. They stated that Chinese agricultural imports from the United States were at about $2 billion in December, making up a bulk of that was soybeans and pork imports. 
Fantastic. Love to see him getting out there. Love to see him making those purchases, putting some dollars in the pockets of the American grower. Absolutely. Well, speaking of dollars and cents, Delaney, what do you say? Should we check out the markets or do you have any other news for us? Let's check them out. All right, folks. We've got a mixed day in the grain markets today. Corn and beans were either unchanged or lower. Wheat, however, again, the weirdo, moving to the upside in a fairly big way. Looking at the corn market, March corn was down half a cent at 389 even. The May contract was down a quarter penny to close at 396 even. In soybeans, January, well, who cares? In soybeans, March, unchanged on the day, finished at 942 and a quarter. The November new crop down a quarter penny to finish at 969 and a half. Over in Chicago wheat, the March contract up six and a quarter cents to finish at 568 and a half. The May up five and a half to finish at 570 and a quarter. Jumping over to the world of livestock mixed trade today, the cattle complex. February live cattle up 30 cents at 126.85. April up 35 cents, closed at 127.8750. Feeder cattle down on the day, but only slightly. The March contract was down 12 and a half cents at 145.7250. April down 15 cents, finished at 148.65. And big moves to the upside in the hog market. February lean hog up a dollar seventy-seven fifty to close sixty-seven sixty-seven half. April up a dollar sixty-two half to finish the day at seventy-five dollars even. Looking over at the world of dairy, not a lot of trade today. Slight weakness in the class three milk contracts. January contract down two cents sixteen ninety-nine. February down four to finish at sixteen eighty-six. Now for our hashtag Tech Tuesday discussion, we're going to throw it to a man we've talked to for Market Monday. But now we're talking tech. Well, for today's Hashtag Tech Tuesday interview, we are looking at another new podcast, an ag podcast hitting the pipeline here in the very near future. And that is going to be hosted than none other by none other than Joe Vaklovic of Standard Grain. Joe, thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, I'm happy to be here. So, Joe, tell us, before we get to the podcast, obviously, Joe Vaklovic is probably a common household name for those folks that listen to the markets pretty regularly. Tell us a little bit about you and your work with Standard Grain. Well, Standard Grain is a business that I started uh, about eight years ago. I do commodity brokerage. I do consulting. Uh, All my customers are, you know, farmers, uh, feedlots, uh, some commercial grain facilities, um, I read a newsletter every day. I do a lot of radio and uh, television work. And uh, be- before that, before I had, had the business, I, I worked for a few different uh, of the real big brokerage houses in Chicago. Um, since then, we moved, uh, me and my family moved to uh, the Nashville, Tennessee area about two years ago. And uh, that's where we're at right now. That is so cool, Joe. As Delaney mentioned, a lot of our listeners are probably familiar with you and the work you've done on either radio, TV, or the newsletter, but you are going to be unveiling a new way for people to get your thoughts. Why don't you tell us what you've got coming up? Well, I think that what I do or what I do in TV and radio, I'm, I'm often very limited by a number of things. I'm limited to uh, maybe the biggest one is time. You know, you go on a radio show and, and maybe you've got four, five, six minutes to talk about the markets, or you do an interview for an AM radio station somewhere, and it, it may be an interview format that may only last two or three minutes. And in, in those, uh, on those sort of platforms, you know, you're kind of limited to the scope of what you can discuss. It's usually real short-term stuff, you know, 
what was the, the what's the headline driving the market today? What's the weather forecast? What what did the USDA say? And uh, how did you feel about it? Um, I thought that the podcast would be a really nice way and in, in, in a different format for me to address a lot of of things that are are just as important or probably more important in a lot of situations as I start to put my schedule together and and write out the scripts for these episodes. The stuff that I'm going to discuss, I think, is actually a lot more important than than any of the short-term uh, headlines. Uh, one of the the ones I'm doing right now, it's 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 kind of a, a long-term financial planner type deal, and uh, it's going to be called Compound Interest Equals Time. And I'm going to discuss uh, the implications of you know spending money versus saving it, and what you know one dollar now might mean for 30 years down the road, and how uh, you know farmland has appreciated in value, and how compound interest is really this fantastic wealth building tool, um, and and it's all kind of in the backdrop of of agriculture and how it applies to to a farmer or or somebody in the cattle business or somebody who's involved in this sort of thing. There's just going to be a lot of topics that I can't or don't have time to cover in my radio shows, in my newsletter, on TV, um, and and it's my podcast, so I can do what I want with it. I can make it as long as I want. Um, I can choose the topics, and uh, it's just it's a different way for me to to kind of get some points out there um, in, in in a different format. So I'm pretty excited about it. Yeah, that's kind of why we love podcasting too. Is you're not dictated by maybe quite as many guidelines or rules as you are with TV and radio. But uh, Joe, do you plan on having any experts or guests join you, or will it be mostly just insights that you've garnered through your work? Initially, this is going to be a solo deal. I've got enough to talk about for a while that I don't think I need to bring in anybody. Now, I think that down the road, um, there will be an occasion or two where I'll need an expert guest because I'm not an expert on everything. So yeah, you you will need an expert guest um, at some point down the road. And there may be specific pieces of news or, or something that comes up that we need to have better explained to us. So yeah, there, there's going to be guests down the road. I think initially I've got to work with where it'll be a solo deal. And <laughs> honestly, the solo deal is one of the reasons that I, I decided the podcast was a good format because it seems like every other time I'm, I get to do media and talk about markets, it's always either an inter- it's always an interview format one way or the other. And I think I do enough of the interview format stuff, so I'm trying to kind of go the other way. So, Joe, we've talked a lot about what you're creating, but we haven't yet talked about what it's called. Tell our listeners, how should they get a hold of you? How should they follow this, uh, this podcast that you're uh, putting out? So the podcast is called Grain Markets and Other Stuff. Um, it's already been uh, distributed just about everywhere that you can listen to a podcast. So it's on Apple, it's on Google, it's on Spotify, it's on just about any podcast app that you can find out there. So certainly go on there and subscribe and uh, check it out. It'll be I'll have links on my website and on my Twitter Twitter page. So it's it's going to be all over the place. And Joe. You may not have a specific timeline yet, but when are you thinking that you'll maybe roll this out? And how often will you be posting new episodes? Uh, it'll probably be published by the time you listen to this interview. And um, I'm hoping I'm hoping to do, uh, it's going to be a weekly podcast. And there may be a situation where, you know, say a USDA report comes out or there's some piece of big news that I need to address. Maybe you'll throw a special um 
you know, maybe abbreviated episode in during the week or something along those lines. It's kind of, it's nice to have that flexibility where I can just jump in and hit record and say, okay, I'm going to talk about um, this USDA report. I'm going to talk about the airstrike in Iraq, or I'm going to talk about, you know, any, any piece of, of, of uh, information that's relevant to the markets or relevant to agriculture or farming. Um, but, but typically weekly, and then maybe some kind of special type episodes thrown in. So, Joe, don't give away the entire series that you're putting together, but other than compound interest, what are some other topics that you're really chewing over that you think would be fitting for uh, for different podcast shows? Uh, there's an episode that's going to, that's called uh, USDA Probably Won't Save You, and it uh, addresses the issue of USDA reports and uh, farmers who, I think, bank too much on these reports. I think that Grain marketing is I – could, I could talk for hours and hours about grain marketing, but grain marketing is not something that should be left to the USDA. Your, your, your finances and your financial situation on your farm shouldn't be left to USDA. And I talk about how you know most of these reports are kind of non-events. Most of the reports are volatility killers. Uh, most of the reports don't prove somebody right and therefore rally the market. Um, just a, a lot of things regarding not just the most recent USDA reports that we've seen, but USDA reports in general. Um, that's one. Another one that I'm going to do is going to talk about grain marketing meetings. Um, you know, during the winter, this is meeting season for a lot of us who are involved in, in um, ag business, and we go out and we talk to farmers and we talk about grain markets and marketing meetings. I talk about the meetings and, and what I think about them and what I think are good topics and bad topics and, and uh, what I think are great discussions and what I think are terrible discussions. So it's, it's, it's all related to farming and grain markets, and uh, and and the, the business of farming, but uh, just different things that I've never really had a chance to discuss with people. Yeah, and that will be certainly interesting. Joe, I feel that we should have asked you this question at the beginning, but besides obviously your work with Standard Grain, did you grow up on a farm or grow up in agriculture? Or how did you decide that this was the area no. that you I'm wanted to go into? Boy. Okay. Grew, I'm a city boy. I, I, I grew up in Chicago. Um, and what happened was I, I kind of halfway stumbled into uh, doing an ag business major at the University of Illinois uh, when I was a freshman. I stumbled into a couple ag business classes. I thought it was really interesting. Um, I've always kind of been a, a person who tries to do the opposite of what everyone else is doing. All my friends were doing business majors or accounting majors or uh, you know marketing, that kind of stuff. And I thought, this is totally different. This is a totally different group of people. It's it seems to be very interesting, and uh, I just kind of stuck with it. And after that, um, I, I did a couple different internships in Chicago during my uh, time in college during the summers, and uh, been doing it ever since. Fantastic. Joe, before we let you go, tell us one more time, how can people find you on Twitter? What is your website, and what is the name of the podcast? Uh, Twitter handle is at Standard Grain. Uh, my Facebook page is at Standard Grain. Uh, the name of the podcast is Grain Markets and Other Stuff. It's available on Apple, Google, Spotify, pretty much every other podcast outlet. I am very, very easy to find. Fantastic, folks. Check him out if you're not following Joe already, and be sure to search for that podcast, Grain Markets and Other Stuff. Joe Vaklovic from Standard Grain, thanks for taking the time to chat with us today. Absolutely. Thank you. Well, big thank you there to Joe for coming on for a Tech Tuesday interview as well. Mike, you're right there. He does a great job talking about the markets. It's exciting. I think he's very excited to be able to talk about the markets 
on a bigger picture level. Absolutely. It's all about having the freedom. That's what podcasts do. If you are interested in starting a podcast focused on agriculture, reach out to Delaney or I or our intern, Madison. You can find us on social media at Ag News Daily on all the places, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at least. Or you can always check our website at agnewsdaily.com. You can get our past episodes, get connected to the other folks on the Global Ag Network, and we want to hear from you. Be sure to give us a shout-out. With that, Delaney, shall we let the people go? Let's let him go.